Look, Cole, we see what you're getting at, okay? We hear everything you guys are saying. We read everything that's being written, okay? We know what you guys are thinking. Look, we're not renegades. We're not mercenaries. We're not the nexus. If you're looking for the NWO, go buy the DVD. We're about principles. We're about honor. Where honor no longer exists, we're gonna step in. It's like he said, we're a shield from injustice. Yeah. We're a shield from injustice. We are the shield. it going folks and you are back here at wild thing the john moxie career review podcast i'm your uneducated and incomparable host joey O'Darty, and i'm here to bring you the third episode in what is our definitive series looking back at the career of dean ambrose slash john moxie slash jonathan good and all the goodness that's contained within Firstly, thank you so much to everyone that has actually listened to the first episode and second episode of our podcast. And this week we have the third episode. And the third episode is none other than The Shield debut. That's right, Dean Ambrose and his two little buddies, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, invade WWE. They take over Survivor Series 2012 and they run roughshod over WWE. So this week we're going to be covering their initial debut and, of course, their build and match a TLC 2012 which they take on Kane, Ryback and our old favourite Daniel Bryan and this week guys I am joined by none other than Charlene C. Charlene how are you getting on? Good how are you doing today? I'm good all the better for talking to you and hopefully we'll be able to at least get into the nitty gritty of what makes John Moxley tick especially in his early WWE career. First and foremost Charlene why do you like Mox? Oh gosh why do I like Mox so much? Oh his personality, his his ability to cut promos, his character work, his like his amazing in ring style, you know, it's like everyone thinks of him as so much as like a brawler, but it's like what I tell her is he's so much more than a brawler. He's got this technical side that no one really wants to talk about much. And when was the first time you were introduced to Dean Ambrose or John Moxley? When was that, and what were your initial feelings? The first time I got introduced to him was the early Shield days, so, like, when they debuted and everything, and it's funny, everyone knows me now as, like, this huge Mox Dean Ambrose fan, but it's, like, when he first started, I was like, who is this guy? He's too arrogant, he's too cocky, he's too stuck up, like, who, what does he think he is? And now you love him, you love every facet of him by the sound of things, which is really cool. Now I, now I love him, now he's my hero, now he's my inspiration. <laughs> Did you ever watch any of his FCW days before he joined WWE officially? I, at first, when I became a fan of his, I was like, hmm. I didn't know much about his, like, his stuff or WWE, but, but like, I had a I had a friend of mine, and she was like, oh, he, here's all his old stuff. So I was like, I would go back and watch it. So I actually did go back and watch his FCW stuff, his feud with Seth and his feud with William Regal. And I'm like, wow. I'm a huge fan of his Regal feud. It's absolutely like it's such great character work. So why for you? Why is John Moxley important in pro wrestling today? What makes you gravitate towards him? 
like I'm saying, like what gravitates me toward him is just the kind of person he is. He's real. He's authentic. He's genuine. Yeah, his promo work draws you in. It's like every word he says that it'll just draws you in to like get you to believe in everything he's saying. That's the one thing I always associate with him. He's passionate and he's real in the sense of he he wants to entertain. He gets pro wrestling. He wants you to feel the same sort of emotions. You know, when he's going through a battle, whether it's against Juice Robinson, where it's against Roman and the Shield, where it's against, you know, obviously coming up probably with Daniel Bryan. Well, Dan Bryan Danielson is now column. This is exactly what we want to see. And this is what we can relate to easily. Absolutely. So we're here. It's the Shield's debut. It's the 18th November 2012. We're in Brooklyn. First of all, what did you think of the, sorry, the Survivor Series, you know, pay-per-view as it all? Did oh. you have any memories of it prior to this? No, when they debuted on the main roster, it was like, holy crap, like, who are these guys? They're like, they were just, they were just, like, they made an impact right off the bat to say, hey, we're a force to be reckoned with. You're going to deal with all of us. We're, like, we're ready to go. But these were three big dudes in FCW, very big game in the sense of they had people backing them. They had people like William Regal, Mick Foley that were saying, these guys, Rollins and Ambrose, they're pretty good. And then you have Reigns, who has obviously got his family connections. They're being pushed mm-hmm. hard, and my biggest fear initially when I've obviously seen this debut was, where are they going to go down the same road as the Nexus? Oh, that's exactly. It's like, you don't want to screw these guys up, especially because all three of them had such strong potential to be stars. You don't want to screw this up right off the bat. And before, like, they obviously got the catalyst together, like, of the shield. Are you aware of, like, you know, Dean Ambrose and Heavy's going to original debut in the company six months prior? Yeah, the whole McFoley storyline. What could have been, huh? What could have been? It sounded like a really good idea. It sounded like something that had definitely had legs, and it's a P.E. McFoley didn't get cleared. But for those of you who don't, don't know, McFoley was working a bit of a program, a bit of a work and shoot work program with uh, with Dean Ambrose and hoping to bring him in. And McFoley, unfortunately, just couldn't get cleared. And, you know, unfortunately, never yeah. came to be. But what, you know, Silver Line is he got to be part of probably one of the most successful, you know, factions, three men group in, you know, wrestling history, which is really cool. Absolutely. It's a blessing in disguise because think about it, if that McFoley feud takes off, I mean, we don't know what what Ambrose's career would have been like in WWE and we never probably never would have gotten the shield. So it's a blessing in disguise that it didn't happen. Okay, so you're there watching, you're Roy back, Cena, Punk, they're going out of her title, and then these three random guys explode onto the scene. What is your first initial thoughts watching them? Like, first of all, aesthetically, what do you make of their look, their attire? Oh my gosh, it's like the black turtlenecks, the black cargo is like, like they were like the security. Like to me, it's like they got this like security, like they're like military style or something like that. Like over here in Ireland and obviously in the UK, we have a Cadbury's chocolate factory, and then they had ads back in the eighties of these guys called milk train men who would be all dressed in black and polo necks, and they'd be sneaking into ladies' rooms to give them some chocolates. It was really cheesy, but that's the first thing I remember thinking. God, these guys look exactly like that, but like they obviously haven't evolved into the the SWAT team look very quickly from yeah. there, but like which is obviously it's very an iconic look now that's still being obviously played upon as most recently as the Royal Rumble but you know like what did you think of how they were presented that night like they came in they kicked ass and oh they executed it to perfection because when you first seen them and they went and took out Ryback it was like man these guys are a force to be reckoned with I don't know who would be able to stop them 
that's it. And like it's it's really cool to see how they were presented because again, straight away, similar to Nexus, they came in and took down two like, obviously two big guys and right back, and they're obviously eyeing up Punk. So there's a lot going mm-hmm. on there, and like you know, not many people get to debut so successfully. Like you know, like and the next night on Raw, they do the same thing. Really, they have a bit of a schmoz, and they come down and do the exact same thing to right back. So they're they're off to the races. They've established themselves, and they're. They're obviously being very booked very strongly off the back, and you have an association with the world champion. But things really kick into gear the next week. It's the 19th of November. There, Punk is having his promo. Royback interrupts, and you know they're they're back at it again. What did you make yeah. of your first initial building? See, okay, they go after Ryback the first. They go after the Ryback of them at Survivor Series to protect Punk, and then this week they come out and attack. Right back again, and then you start asking yourselves, huh, are they aligning themselves with Punk? Are they helping Punk? Are they protecting his title reign? What's going on here? Then the next week, well, things get close. Slight bit of a reveal. We have the sit-down interview on the 26th November mm-hmm. with Michael Cole, and this is where we get a really famous, obviously, meme with the nope, uh, <laughs> Dean Ambrose team, but we get the, the name The Shield. You know, and what did you think of this yeah. promo? This is the first time three guys are sitting down having a chat with the WWE cameras. How did they come off? They came off good. Roman came off as the strong, silent type, but I think with this promo, we got, like, Seth was dark, but we learned from this promo, like, that Ambrose is the, to me, he was the le- original leader of the Shield here, like, vocal leader. So we knew that he was going to be the the voice of reason for this group. He definitely he oozes confidence. He the thing is he looks sharp. He looks compared to his FCW days where he's a bit messy, a bit more grungy. This guy looks like he's well presented. He's he's definitely the oh, verbally at least. The, he came across as like the strong leader. And even Seth Rollins, who was still pretty green himself vocally, he comes off really well. And I really prefer this to what he probably is now. I'm not a big fan of his drip god gimmick at the moment, but. Here, he looks really well. he looks really well here. And again, I love the bleach blonde look and Roman does does the bare minimum but does what he needs to do. He's green and he can't really speak yet, but he, he just comes in, does what he needs to do. They all look very strong. Kane then is fighting punk later on that night and same thing again. We have the shield come down, they circle them like a pack of wolves, they tease attacking punk, but they actually go for Kane, trying predictably. Yep. So what did you make of that? What was your opinion here? So far they're 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 pretty much aligned with Punk. Yeah, even though they sit there in the interview of the previous week, the, later earlier on, and say we're not aligned with him, we're not working for him. It's like, well, everyone you're attacking is like fighting Punk or going after Punk, and you're going after every guy he's facing. Punk's a hundred percent the main beneficiary from the Shields work early on, but like we come out later, then yeah. we have. Kane obviously getting beaten up. You have Daniel Bryan who, like, yeah, oh my God, he's so over still, like, and he's still not like, hitting his, you know, his peak yet. And you have Ryback who, my God, I forgot how over this guy was. The feed me more chants were absolutely everywhere. Like, I don't know how WWE botched this guy so badly. Like, you can see, obviously, I have my opinions, but like, this guy was so over. Exactly. Just listen to the crowd reaction for him, man. Like, he was so hyped. They would pay money for this guy today like if he was yeah. but the fans would not probably be reacting like they were then that w have lost all sort of value and sort of you know going forward with this guy you know he he was so he did such a good job of hiding his weaknesses showing you his strengths exactly. and it's just a pity that like this guy was probably gone by the royal rumble as soon as he lost the scene in the last royal rumble then he was that was really his reign run done and it was all downhill from them but right now 
the crowd absolutely loved this guy. Oh, they did. He comes in, right back, cleans house. He destroys everyone there. He's left, you know, one on one with Punk, and let's be honest, he's clumsy. And he picks, mm-hmm. you know, he picks him up, and Roman gives him that big spear. But my God, that could have went really badly for Punk as the landing. Like you can see, Roman's green, Ryback's green. It could easily went yeah. really bad, but it was, it was an amazing visual, right? It was like like you were saying, it could have turned out really bad. But I mean, everyone in there looked really strong. Yeah, and like the shield bomb him to the end, and again. Punk is standing tall. Shield are doing what they do best, and you know so far the story's you know it's pretty basic, but it's pretty effective. It's it's no nonsense. You're getting these guys over. Ryback's you know still like he's still looking strong and defeat here, and you know they're off to the races so well. Like and the next week then we're at the third of December, and it's Miz TV segment with Punk, and it's a really fun one with the lie detector. I don't know. Like I don't. There's one thing AEW I think don't get enough of at the moment is these kind of stupid little gimmicky nonsense sort of you know, pro wrestling that I, I just love these kind of things like MJF and Jericho do these things occasionally but they can be so good yeah. and they can be so effective at you know pushing the story down the road and Punk and Miz just throwing barbs at each other is just wonderful it was all the questions Miz is throwing at him and everything and it's like oh. And knowing Punk, how you know, soft, probably tin skinned he is, he's probably not too happy at these little barbs coming his way. And there's definitely a hint of resentment and bitterness towards the main event, and that I just found, I find funny at this stage. It's a very goofy promo. It's definitely wrestling bollocks at its highest, but I love this. And of course, you have the shield obviously coming in at the end, and we're again, we're, we're, we're all back and forth, but it's really interesting to see how the shield were obviously there. They're the muscle here. They're, they're, for for punk, they're they're looking good. They're his protection. They're his like like they said. They're his shield for to keep protect that championship ring. And then and we're off to the races. Then the last one to go home. Raw Flair is attacked by the shield, and you know Flair here looking like he looks like a drunk granddad at a birthday party. <laughs> like but like, he's not looking well. But you know again him Ryback Daniel Bryan Kane they all stand tall taking on the shield, and we're really set up for a de- at least you know a decent match at the moment. It's been a decent build at the moment. Nothing. Nothing crazy, nothing spectacular, but it's been effective. They're compelling. They're interesting. You want to know more about these guys, you know? And they're they're not coming in and being jobbed out straight away. They're looking, they're looking good. Absolutely. Like thank goodness that they didn't screw them up. Like Nexus. Like once they keep making them look strong, you're you're like, eh, these guys are on the right track to being majorly successful. They are, and like like so far, like none of them are putting a foot wrong. Like Roman Reigns, fair as a green guy, he's still he's not doing anything wrong. He's he's doing everything to the bare minimum. And what he does, he does well. Same as Seth and Dean. The two of them are doing really well, just being the vocal points and being the the, the workhorses at the moment in these little brawls. But yeah, it's it's so far so good. They're doing really well, and looking back, this seems like it's a decent feud. It was a decent feud. That was like their first major feud within the company, especially them and Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan and Kane, their first major feud. And everybody, and what I like about it is everybody in the feud was still made to look strong, regardless. I mean, they were used to put the make make the shield look super strong, but no one was made to look bad because of this. Feud. And at the time, WWE, they're not great. You know, they're they're not as bad as they probably are today, but they're like. They have a track record still of not really being able to, you know, push guys appropriately. There's so many people that fell through the cracks back in 2012 and 2011. But right now, the Shield, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, they're doing good. They're 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 looking like stars, at least potential stars at the very least. Oh, absolutely. And of course, match at TLC. It's 
a, I don't know about you, but it's a big, big match to be going into for your debut match, like especially for someone like Roman Reigns, who's not really had the same kind of exposure to the Indies as Seth and Dean had. So like, there's a lot of pressure on all of them, and you know, we get first yeah. of all, we get. Promo beforehand, he runs down the crowd, it's pretty typical, takes a few shots at Roy back, but Punk is over. He's so over. He, the crowd absolutely lap him up. And what did you think what did you think of that promo itself? Like, you know, they're it's nothing groundbreaking, right? Nothing mm-hmm. memorable, but like, you know, he's he's doing his job to get the crowd really riled up. Oh, he got him riled up. <laughs> he really, like he got him in the palm of his hand, but And like this is the first TLC match. That's a six man tag. So like, there's no there's no t- titles online, there's no briefcase. It's literally just no. basically an over the top plunder match with a few ladders and tables and chairs being the specific weapons of choices. But you know, it's a big match to go into for these guys and I think like you know, first of all, like you've got the enforce, you've got Kane coming into his you know, his, his probably one of his worst team musics and entrances that I recall. Like much prefers his other uh other work by Finger Eleven and his original Jim Johnson team when he debuted in ninety seven, but the reaction that this guy got, he's, he's still fairly over in 2011. And then, of course, you see Brian. And the one thing I'll say about Brian is, at the moment, he's obviously he's in a mid-card comedy yeah. tag team. You know, similar to RK Bro at the moment. It's a, it's very, you know, a very good cop, bad cop. But can they coexist? But they are. They're, they're making it work. But the one thing I've noticed about this is, maybe not at this stage, but Chad Gable, at the moment, with his tag team, Otis, has, is in a sort of similar position. And I'd, be, I'd love to see this guy make it to where the heights Daniel Bryan did because we had no idea that Daniel Bryan would ever make that ceiling in WWE he's talented don't get me wrong but I never had faith in WWE ever pushing him to that kind of level I was shocked when they did like they, you thought they were he'd be stuck down in the mid card stuck in the comedy gimmick world and the fact that they had faith in him because of the crowd reaction to him that they pushed him into the main event scene it was like wow that's yeah, what they did. Believe in it. Yeah, like that's the thing. Everyone wanted him. Everyone knew this guy could go. Give him the give him the ball. Let him run it. And they were slowly giving him that. Slowly. And again, he's not as 2014 height of fame yet, but you can see this guy has something. It's it's undeniable, and just it's unbelievable to see how like you know over he is right now. Back in 2012, like they could have given him a run now next year's year. And the one thing I will say is like with Roy back going to the wayside eventually, it kind of opened the door for Brian to be able to get that push. Like, because if they didn't fumble Roy back, he could have been their next face for at least another two or three years if they gave him, you know, the proper sort of you know creative juice. Oh, he could have been. And of course, you have Roy back coming in again. He's so over right now. Like he's literally the fans are chanting his chanting this catchphrase. They're into it. They just want to see yeah. him. It's amazing how he still has steam after the last two pay per views after getting mauled by the Shield and obviously you know cheated out a title of Hell in the Cell previously thanks to Brad Maddox who God remember him Jesus Christ oh my God I forgot about that guy till this feud I was like my Jesus it's been a long way a long time but like the Shield obviously they come down and they have this the first time the Shield have their music and it's such a great team what what do you think of the Shield's music I love their theme. So iconic. Oh, it's such a cool entrance. It's definitely iconic. And it's like I wasn't a huge fan of the Royal Rumble match with Roman and Seth recently, but I did like you know how Seth played off that shield sort of you know you know throwback and call outs and came out with was, all the shield gear on. It looked good. Really, the, the greatest hit stuff all over again. It was the best Seth looked in a long time. But like yeah, he he looked great here as well. Don't get me wrong. All three guys come in here, and straight away it's a huge schmoz, it's huge brawls, carnage straight away. The fans are eating every second of this up. There's like 
it, the first 30 moments, it's a fairly standard match in terms of, you know, you know, ladder match sort of etiquette. But what did you make of this? The fans were amazing. Like, going back and watching this match over again, it was like, they were into this. Like, you, you, you talk about crowd reactions in feuds and stories and matches, you know, making the match what it is. And they did an excellent job. Oh, and Ambrose was really well in his open exchange with Roy back with all settles down and you know, like you know, I think they both make each other look really well. Like the initial chops by by Ambrose, he looks like he's into it. He's feeling it. And Royback, you know, let's be honest here, he's not the best, but he does what he does and he, and he does it very well right here. And the Goldberg chance, like he I forgot the comparisons with Goldberg and it's oh. amazing how loud it is here. Like the fans were eating this whole thing up and Royback just yeah. again. How did he? How did he, How did he botch this guy so much? Who knows? <laughs> it's typical WWE stuff. You get someone over, you build them up as a star, and then you just botch their run. It's like oh, they rushed them to the main event against Punk. If they would have let that sort of slowly get to the boil, he would have got so much more of it. But they cut the legs yeah. from under him in that Punk match. If you do a slow burn of it and you let this build naturally and. You know, organically, you'd be fine. But when you just like, hey, we got to rush him up here. It, it just messed everything up. They, they, they have, you can see they have something here. And like, they've done this before, Braun Strowman as well, like, like later on. And you can see the difference between how WWE do it and at the moment how AEW are doing it. Like Braun Strowman to Jade Cargill and Hook are just like, it's like night and day. It absolutely is. But the game, the match is really over. The fans are loving it. Like, you know, Ambrose has a great shotgun drop kick and Kane, who to be honest with you, who looks wrecked already, brings in the first ladder. He looks gassed. Poor guy is not in the best of shape that he used to be in, but no. you know, what did you make of Kane in this match? He did he did good, but it was like you were saying, like he looked he looked like he was in bad shape. Like he looked wasn't in the best of shape in the match. Oh, but like the crowd eat up everything. They're loving it. They, they, there's nothing that this, these guys can't the do. You can't get over that crowd reaction for um, for all um, all the guys um, there. Underestimate how much of a good match can be enhanced by a good crowd, right? A hot crowd can make yeah. things ten times better. Yeah, you have a good match with no crowd reaction. The match is like, eh, okay, it's like mediocre. You have a really good match with excellent crowd reaction like this. It turns it into like a spectacle. That's it. Like this, like at the moment, it's not spectacular, right? Now, it's fine. It's nothing crazy yet. But, like, you've got Roman who's green. You've got Royback who's green and client clumsy. And you've got Kane who's just not at the level as he used to be. Yeah. The match is relying on Rollins, Brian, and Ambrose to basically carry him. And like, they do a great job. But while they're the ones carrying it, the other, three, the other three guys are doing fine, too. Yeah. The guys with the most experience in Brian, Ambrose, and Rollins carried their match and did their roles to perfection. But the other three guys did amazing as well. I think... This match was laid out in such a way that the guys like Reigns and Kane and, and Ryback, their strengths were highlighted and their weaknesses were hidden. There was no one really put a foot wrong and no one looked like they put a foot wrong. It was, it was really well laid out. And then you have the double suplex by Ryback which to Ambrose and Rollins and the reactions of Ambrose is like, my God, they're hands oh. I'm okay with it. What did you make of it? Oh, I fell for him. Like Seeing him get suplexed through that ladder, I was like, ouch. Like, I felt that. <laughs> <laughs> you feel for him. Think, spare a thought for poor Royback. Royback gets dragged out and gets put through, like, I think it's about his fourth table in as many weeks. He eats a shield bomb. He's down. And the, the guy, listen, there's one thing I'll say about Roman Reigns. He looks so enthusiastic. He is giving his socks and he's loving it. He's feeding off the crowd. Brian comes in. 
he's got this baby face for her. He's such a good underdog, right? Oh, he's an amazing underdog. That's what made his entire run feel truly special. Is he was always the underdog in the fa- in the fans' eyes. That's why they. That's why his build. Why his build up to the world title and everything was so organic and special because the fans believed in him. Like he was booked as an underdog as from his height perspective, but like. From a fan's point of view, he was always going to be under because we never believed WWE would give this guy a chance. So we, the fans just wanted this guy to be read at the top of the card more than anyone else in the history of WWE. You wanted him up there, and it was a fight, but they got there, right? And you can see with, with, with fire like this in this match, which he carries so well, like he's got it. Oh, he does. And what you what you to make of the first table to be brought in and the the, the suplex spots like that could have really went awry. Yeah, like. How did no one get hurt or botched or <laughs> seriously get injured in there? How did that table stay so strong with them climbing on it and everything? They they get Brian up, they give him a massive suplex and the thing that made me laugh the most in this match was like Kane is up there, he obviously blocks it and their, their efforts come to nothing, but he more or less just walks off for a clothesline. He can't he can't get any height on him because if he does he's gonna break the table. But Jerry Lawler put makes him over <laughs> he's Montez Ford. He's like, Oh my god, the height that he just got and I was like, uh did he? <laughs> he's tall like he's tall enough as it is. Like what the heck? <laughs> Oh and then Ambrose gets absolutely destroyed through his chair. He gets choked on by Kane. Oh. Roy should just defold the chair, and it's a great looking spot. But that's the man. It was a good looking spot, but it's like again, like you feel for him. You're like, oh, I it, felt that. It looked nasty, but like there's one thing that definitely looked nasty, but not the same kind of nasty. Was the barricade spot? First of all, what's your thoughts on the barricade spot? Like I'm sure so in 2012, I, obviously. That, that got over, right? That was a huge thing. But they've done that spot to death since. It's like, oh, my God. Every Reigns-Lashley edge match has one of them at the moment. And it's like, it's so overdone. I need to see it every every single time in those big matches. Like, come on. Oh, like, it's just one of the things. I, I, they, they use that as a crutchnery in every big Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match. And it's like, come on, guys. There has to be a better way to book this. Like, again, it looks visually good. But the 8th, 10th, 100th time. It's lazy booking, is what it is. Like, why do you need to keep seeing the same spot every single match? Like, no. One thing I did love, though, was the Rollins-Ambrose double suplex counter by Brian when they were going to try and get him through the chair, and Brian counters with a lovely knee yeah. to the head. It's so simple, but, like, yeah, it works. So effectively. And there, you get some yes kicks from Brian, or, uh, you know, it's really stiff, really cool kicks that he's obviously known for. But then we get the first, <laughs> the very first set Rollins fuss stomp in WWE. We uh, did. It's one of my favorite moves. I just think it looks good. It definitely looks nasty. And Rollins, just like it's one of the few things he definitely has nailed when it comes to a finisher. Like I never was a huge fan of him using the pedigree or using any sort of certain yeah. moves. This works. It all fits into it. I mean, oh, it's it's. It's just one of them things that I just think it looks really well. I think then we have obviously Roy Max coming in. He's making the saves, literally like he's on a hot tag. And he's clearing the house, and it's you know it's Ambrose then who gets an absolutely sick looking spear. He's like, it's it's awkward. It's not smooth, but it really looked well. Like Goldberg obviously hits these, and Roman Reigns hits these, and edges them, but this one looked clumsy. It looked awkward, but I actually really liked it. I don't know why. Like, it probably looked like a really sore one for Ambrose to take, but you know sometimes the sloppiness can work for someone. Yeah, absolutely, especially someone like him, who's eccentric, who's got his own unique style. Oh, and then the Shield get back on top, right? The fans are loving this. They're, they haven't stopped. The face, the, the pace of this match mm-hmm. has been absolutely breakneck. And the yeah. Shield get back to the outside, and Moxley, well, the fans are calling Moxley right here. You can hear a few faint chants. 
He nails Roy back mm-hmm. with an absolute flying chair to the head. Oh, God, that looked nasty. Yes, I love that. What did you make of the table spot that comes up now with Seth and Roy? Brutal? <laughs> like, ouch. Like, how Seth, how Seth in that spot didn't get seriously injured out of that, I'll never figure that out. Because oh, yeah. his head bouncing that one table was brutal. Like, the whole force of the rest of his body carries him through, but his head just wallets off that table. It's not going to be, you know, very nice in the morning when he wakes up. That looks sick. Oh, okay. The one thing I did love, though, was Ambrose's, you know, his trash talk to Roy back when he had him, you know, held down on the table. It's like, this guy gets it. He's just the little things like this that make him just that little bit above some people when it comes to character work. Oh, his character work is top-notch. You know, Rollins directs these guys to ringside. Ryback climbs up, spins this guy, drags him, literally, like, reefs them right down into the table. So he is out. But as this is all going on, Reigns, Ambrose, they're taking it to Brian, giving the double powerbomb mm-hmm. off the top, and it's done. It's over. So, Shield win. First things first, what did you make as the match as a whole? Were you happy with it? I was. It put the Shield over as the strong, dominant team, which they needed to do. They needed to go over... And be built as a strong faction. Because if you have them lose in their first feud, it's like the novelty's worn off. Having them win and look as strong as they did and dominant says, hey, these guys are a force to be reckoned with. They're not anybody to be messing around with. They're not. But like, if you were going to give this match a rating, what would you give this? He, we know what the Meltzer gave this match. He gave it four and a half then, but. For me personally, I thought, you know, I'd say it was about four and a quarter. Like, I've seen, I've seen better. I, I, I'm not saying this match sucked by any means. I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. It's just on bar with the rest of them. Like, there's a few things I could take away. Like, but overall, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was fun. Oh. Like, Ambrose, I think, again, shown in this match. So did set. I think they, they every, no one looked bad. They all worked hard. It's interesting yeah. to note them that, like, Ambrose himself, really, he, like he said, he calls this his favourite match. You know, this is his, in his book, Mox, he tells you how this, like, no, he was his first big check from a pay-per-view, so it meant a lot to him, but he loved oh, working with all five guys, and it was great. Just, he loved it, and it was, you can see why it's so dear in his heart. The crowd, everything seemed to went more or less flawlessly as he laid out, you know, and if you look at it, the fans, obviously, you could look in cage matches, gets a 9.29, grapple rating is a 4.5 average. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very easy match to like. It's, there's no, Big negatives. I think it doesn't hit the highs as other matches. I really, there's nothing not to like about this match. Oh no, it did its job. It made it made everyone look like a star in it. So I was like, it did its job. And to have three guys go over so well here, like you can see Vince or whoever it is on the creative team, there's guys behind these guys. Some someone in the back oh, of the wave likes these guys and they've given them the push. Thank goodness they did. And I think Shield really had such longevity. Like, you know, which it went on for nearly a year and a half, of which at the time, things didn't happen in WWE. Like this. And like, again, you can see how obviously this affected, obviously, Ambrose going forward. He was given a really good spot as the sort of vocal point of the Shield. Everyone sort of assumed he was the sort of quasi-leader, at least, of the group. And, you know, obviously, it really, it's one of the best factions to ever grace WWE. And it shows. Absolutely. It, it, its job is not only creating a super amazing faction in the history of the company, but you, look what you did. You created three three single superstars as well out of it. And as we end the show here, we're obviously finished the match analysis and the feud analysis, but what's what's your best period of mocks at the moment? Like, if you could pinpoint your favorite sort of mocks moments at the moment, what would they be? Favorite moments? Um, I don't know. Like, I think his 2016 babyface run, you know, 
I think the entire 2016 run of his was amazing. Um, his feud with Seth Rollins after Seth turned on the Shield that was a that was another good feud of his. Probably my favorite, like my favorite top two favorite matches of his in um, WWE would be the uh, Kevin Owens the Kevin Owens match at the Royal Rumble, the Last Man Standing match. That was pretty good. Um, uh, him and Seth Money in the Bank 2015. That's one of my favorite matches. But my favorite Mox matches today, oh goodness, uh, AEW wise, I'd say his match with Brody Lee at Double or Nothing was t- probably my favorite match. My, but my favorite all time Mox match, like after WWE, after he left WWE is probably him and, uh, Tomohiro Ishii in, in the G1 Climax. Probably his best match in the G1 and probably his best match in New Japan. I'd love his Juice match as well, but, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. They're both really good matches. Like, his initial Juice match, like, we'll obviously talk about that further in episodes, but it's one I, mean, I really enjoy, and I can't wait to get to on the show. Like, it's, and his Ishii match was really, it's like, can he go in the G1? Oh. Yes, he can. Yeah. Yeah. And his, his, his first match, like you were saying, against Juice Robinson, it was like, like, that was his coming out party, because that was his uh, first match post-WWE. Like, how is he gonna? How is he gonna be in the ring and to have the, the pressure faith? was on, right? You know, it showed that New Japan had faith in him and believed in him as a as a single star that he could actually carry the company. And he had a successful U.S. title run. He did. He did. Of course, we can obviously get that on further episodes, hopefully going down. But this has been Charlene, Charlene C here on Wild Thing Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and. I really wish the best in your future endeavors. Oh, anytime. And that's all we have time for today, guys. But thank you so much for joining in. Thank you for, of course, sharing our podcast on Twitter, which is at Mox Podcast. And, of course, you can always connect with me, provide me with any feedback there, or, of course, at my own or personal Twitter handle, at Joe on Twitter. So get in any sort of feedback, share things with your friends, and, of course, get the discussion going about Mox and any parts of his careers you'd like to obviously see covered on the show. Thank you so much for joining, and we shall see you all next time. <laughs>